essentially, what is my future self going to thank me for having done? And it might be something ridiculous, like spending 45 minutes on the phone with Fidelity or with Vanguard to actually set up the account and reset your password or, you know, whatever the, the sort of barrier is. But 20 years from now, the fact that you did that and you started the investing is something that will make an enormous difference. And we have a million things like that in our lives. What is up, you sexy thinkers? It is your boy, Brainbox, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. Today, we are joined by Dory Clark, my friend, a self-reinvention expert, and a professor at Columbia Business School. Dory is the author of multiple best-selling books. Her most recent one, I have bought and liked it, The Long Game. We were only able to have a 20-minute conversation, and wow, it is packed with a lot of ear nuggets just for you gorgeous people. Here are three gigantic takeaways. Number one, patience. When should we be patient, and when should we be impatient? Two, doing, not thinking. Now it's time to act. When is the right time to do that? And three, her income streams. Dory shares actual numbers of being a professor, creating online courses, and more. I was surprised by this one. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to explore more similar strategies on how to improve your life, go back and check out one of our earliest episodes called Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness. There are no quick fixes in this world, except dominoes, just mastery over your thinking and implementing strategic thinking. You can find that as episode 10 in this podcast feed. Dory's newest book is already out, The Long Game. Check it out. You can find more about her at Dory, D-O-R-I, Clark.com, or check Dory out at at Dory Clark on Twitter and on Instagram. Before we dive into the show, my book is launching later, which I'll tell you about in future episodes. But if you want to be in our launch team, which is behind the scenes of the book, you get the marketing of the book. I talk to you and hang out with you in Slack. We work on your business and you meet a lot of other really interesting people shoot me an email, book at okdork.com. We are closing the doors to the launch team on January 1st. That's book at okdork.com. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Yossi Pels. I love seeing your name, Yossi Pels. I definitely know who you are. Who needs an MBA when you have this? Noah's show is what would happen if Startup from Gimlet and How I Built This from NPR would meet and produce their best work. It's low on frills, high on value, and Noah keeps the pace at perfect pitch. Noah can't lose. Thank you, my other rabbi friend. Rabbi Can't Lose here loves every other one of you gorgeous people. I love all of you. If you want to shout it in a future episode, I'd love to call your name out. Leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I check every single one of them. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. It's nice to see your smiling face. Nice. What's the difference to you between pretty well and great? Oh, that's a very philosophical question. You know... There's actually, in all honesty, probably not too much difference in the sense that one of the things that I have discovered over the years, and I think is probably both a strength and a weakness, is that I have a kind of narrow emotional band where just in general, I never really get too excited and I also never really get too upset. So I think I'm pretty much, you know, barring some tragedy in my life, I'm always in a kind of pretty good range. I asked that because I was in therapy a while ago and I, my therapist, I'm like, how's it going, man? He's like, pretty good. I'm like, my standard answer is why not great? <laughs> He's like, one, why do I have to be great for you? And I was like, well, because I pay you, okay? And you're supposed to make me feel better about my stuff. And, uh, but I thought that was great. I actually liked that. He's like, let me be where I'm at, but also saying it in a, wherever that person is like, okay, cool. That's fine. The other kind of comment that I thought is interesting at AppSumo, when we do bad, I get frustrated. When we do good, 
or well in terms of just revenue on a day, yeah. I don't care. It doesn't really like do much for me. Like we'll, we'll hit a million a day, which is insane. I'll be like, okay, that's fine. And the team is like going nuts. And I'm like, oh, that's good. Good job. We did what we're supposed to do. Yeah. But when we're down, I'm like, ah, you know, and so the lesson, I guess, that one of my advisors gave to me is like, if you're going to take the downs, you got to take the ups. Yeah, I think that's a good point. One of the folks that I profiled in my book, Reinventing You, was this Irish dude. And I thought his case study was kind of interesting because he had been promoted and had done really well in his career in Ireland, but then he got moved to the US and his career kind of stalled and he couldn't figure out why. And eventually he realized somebody kind of pulled him aside and they said, man, it seems like you're bummed out all the time. It seems like you're depressed. It seems like you're not enjoying things. And he realized that it was literally just a cultural thing that people would ask him like, hey, how are you doing? And he'd be like, not bad. But like, that's what Irish people say. <laughs> <laughs> and I like what you kind of opened with. You said, let's just do a high concentration of nuggets to time. Or, or how did you phrase it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll bake the ROI in, Noah. This is going to be amazing. Give them their ear nuggets. I do have things that I prepared around the questions. For the people who don't know, who is Dory Clark? Yeah, all right. I'm jumping in here. <laughs> no, I mean, we can pull back. We can do whatever we want for 22 minutes. I love it. Well, I write business books. My latest one is called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. I do some business school teaching for about 10 years at Duke, uh, now primarily at Columbia. And I spend a lot of time speaking and doing online courses and all that sort of thing as well. Nice. Two areas maybe let's just get, what do you think is the meatiest thing you can teach the audience that they can learn from you? Wow, that's like so broad. It's like, how to use a knife. <laughs> how to read a book. <laughs> yeah, well, I can tell you about my hobby horse, uh, at least, which is the thing since I wrote my book, I've been spending the most time thinking about really is long term thinking in the sense that everybody thinks it's a great idea to be a long term strategic thinker. There's not a anti strategic thinking caucus. So, you know, we all say it's great. But very few people actually do it. And I wanted to try to explore what is getting in our way, what is creating that problem. Because if we even exercise a, a modicum of strategy, we're a lot more likely to get closer to where we want to go in our lives. So that's an outcome that I would like for people. For me, that's where I spend a lot of time is trying to understand that gap and how to fix it. I'm curious for you, Noah, how do you think about strategic thinking in your life? I just do what feels right. And that ends up working out pretty well. I like it. Someone asked me in the, the, around something similar. And a lot of it is, you know, feel. It's like a taste, like a dish. And you, you taste enough things over time, you eventually have a, a pretty ideally respectable palate. Yeah. My question that I was, gonna, was wondering is like, how long is long? And the reason I say that is at AppSumo.com, for instance, I've only thought in one year sprints forever. Like, that's like, where do you want to go in 10 years? I'm like, I'm trying to stay in business in 10 years. That's really what I want. But really, I'm focused on one year. And this is the first year ever we've done a three-year vision. Oh, interesting. It's the first time ever we've done it. And it takes time to get there. And I think that's part of the long game and the long thinking that that's hard because it takes time to actually be clear on where you want to go in a longer period of time. But where you can actually go is a lot more interesting, frankly, and it's a lot more exciting, I'm noticing for our company. But it took probably around six months of planning to even just be very clear of what it's going to look like. For me, that feels long. Uh, and to get there to your original question, like, how did we get to this three-year vision? And our vision is more, how do we become the destination for distribution for SaaS tools? Like right now, we're so good at distributing deals on AppSumo. 
But if you're a creator of a SaaS tool for solopreneurs specifically, like there's Twitter and there's ads, there's all these places. There's not like a great one place for all the tools. How we actually got there, I'm trying to think of the exact structure, but it was basically talking to the team, talking to our customers, talking to our partners, workshopping it with our advisors. So we went back and forth with our board. And then some of it is like, what's the actual problem? Like, is it a problem? You know, in business, people are solving things that are not actually problems. <laughs> it's like, you're going to get somewhere in three years, no one wants it. Yeah, that's no good. And I do think you have to be, you know, also, also checking in like, hey, are we all bought into this? Do we actually give a shit to be in this place in three years? And then trying to simplify it down, like what are the different buckets per year that will add us up to like some crazy place in the future? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it's true. I mean, on one hand, we have to recognize that literally everything you've created is provisional. You know, if there's another pandemic or crazy thing that happens, it gets blown up tomorrow. But there's value in having done the exercise and at least knowing what the destination is, because there's a lot of ways that you can pivot toward it once you know where you're supposed to be going. I guess there's just an interesting balance because I think sometimes people are so good thinking long that they don't start today. And then there's the opposite side of people who start today but never think long. I found for myself, it's finding, like I'm more of an action-oriented now, not how, like let's get going person. That'll get me to eventually a good solution. And I surround myself with people who are thinking more strategically. So Andrew Chen, this guy named Moody, who's our marketing advisor, they're generally like, okay, this is gonna lead to this, this is gonna lead to this, this is gonna lead, like they're thinking further ahead. And so being able to have people that think like that has been really helpful just overall in the business. Yeah, I agree. I mean, everybody has natural dispositions, so you have to sort of play to your strengths in that. One of the things that I got really obsessed with, too, during the thick of the pandemic, I kept sort of being really frustrated with myself that I didn't predict it somehow, which, to be clear, a lot of people did not predict that we would have a pandemic when I was, I was mad at myself. And you were frustrated that you weren't able to call it? Basically, yeah. I was, I was like, you know, I feel like somehow, I mean, I don't have deep biomedical knowledge or something, but I felt like I needed to be better prepared in some way for all the possibilities that might come down the pike. And so I went down a rabbit hole during that time period around scenario planning, which is also something that I was really interested in. You know, when we think about scenario planning, I think what comes to mind for most people is just, oh, okay, you come up with this sort of, you know, paint the future and maybe it'll be this and maybe it'll be that. That's useful to a certain extent, but it's almost guaranteed to be wrong. But the part that I found most personally valuable about scenario planning was the fact that if you come up with five different scenarios, the same things that will make you resilient and make your business resilient for, you know, three of them, let's say, are probably going to be the same things. Mm. It's kind of like a cross training almost. This morning, I had an idea of what we should do in our YouTube channel. And luckily, I have a lot of people around me who disagree with me. Jeremy, who's our current, and he's like, yeah, that's a bad idea, but this is a better idea. And so I think having these things really challenged, really like tested is interesting. I guess, what's a practical thing that people can do to think longer term? And what's maybe you'd think longer term if you felt like there's a benefit of it. Yeah. You know, like people don't. Is there is there like an exercise? Is it realizing what you can do in the longer term and then an exercise people can do today? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking first about the question of value, there was a, a really interesting interview that Jeff Bezos did about a decade ago with Wired Magazine. And one of the things he said that I thought was extremely interesting, because this was, you know, even before... Amazon Web Services. This was before Amazon Prime really became a thing. But he said that he felt that the biggest competitive advantage that Amazon had versus its competitors 
was the fact that they were willing to invest on a seven-year time frame. They were willing to wait seven years for an investment to actually turn a profit as compared to everybody else who he said was typically not willing to go more than about three years before something turned a profit. And as a result, they were able essentially to take bigger bets, to you know focus on things that actually could be legitimate game changers. And I think that's interesting. You know, if a question we can ask ourselves is, if we were willing to be more patient, what is it that we actually could be working toward or achieving? So that's, you know, we see something now like Amazon Prime that's become this juggernaut. So there's a lot of things in our lives that really do take a long time. You know, I mean, a good way to think about what it might be is to think about people that we admire. You know, who are we jealous of? Whose careers or whose lives would we like to have? And it might take a while to get there. But if we have a long enough horizon, those things become pretty possible. But to zoom it back, if we believe hypothetically in the value of, okay, long runway, we can get there. What are the things that we can do today to be strategic? I think one simple thing, you know, a question that I like to ask that I think frames it up is what is something, even a small thing that I can do today that will make tomorrow better and easier? Essentially, what is my future self going to thank me for having done? And it might be something ridiculous, like spending 45 minutes on the phone with Fidelity or with Vanguard to actually set up the account and reset your password or, you know, whatever the, the sort of barrier is. But 20 years from now, the fact that you did that and you started the investing is something that will make an enormous difference. And we have a million things like that in our lives. What are some other real examples? Because I, I noticed for me, if I'm listening to you, I'm like, okay, what are other things that people have done thinking longer that I can copy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if we think about health, right? I mean, a sort of prosaic but really useful example yeah. is setting out the gym clothes the night before, right? If you make it automatic, oh, this is what I'm putting on. I guess I'm going to the gym because I'm wearing gym clothes. It actually removes a lot of friction from it. And people don't really like going to the gym, but everyone likes having gone to the gym. You know, when it comes to career things, you know, there's a lot of things that, that you can sort of set up and batch in terms of essentially creating forcing functions for yourself. So, all right, what's the thing that we might not do, but we're glad that we will have done? Well, maybe it's, okay, today I'm going to make a dinner reservation for a month from now, and I'm going to send five emails to invite people to join me at that dinner. And a lot of people, they might be interested in networking, but they're not planning far enough in advance. When we do that, when we set it up, it actually says, oh, you know, okay, now I have a networking event on my calendar. So a lot of it is just thinking far enough ahead so that we can get things done that we want. I mean, I'm curious, are there things that you feel particularly grateful for, Noah, that you've set up and done? Yes. I'll tell you something I'm thinking about in the future and just to workshop it with you. Lately in my life, I am so grateful I started my own businesses. Yeah. I feel like I suffered for 12, 15 years yeah. to finally feel at peace with what I've created and who I've created it with and how much money I get to make and how I get to live. And I don't know how I persisted sometime. Yeah. When it was like fire after fire after living on couches and I think it was just like, I at least wanted to make money so I didn't have to work for anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I was like, I think with the long game, I didn't have a long game of, I want to have all this money in this house. I wanted to be rich, but it didn't have like a clear long game version of it. I was like, I just needed to get to my freedom number, which was 3000 bucks. Yeah. That I could 
at least do what I wanted. And then from there, it was a little bit of a springboard to keep working through things that led me to where I am now. And so I'm so grateful that I started. I think that's, you know, even with my book, Million Dollar Weekend, it's, you may get a million in a weekend, most likely not. But how can you start so that you can get the million when you're, when you want, right? Or, or within some time period. And I think that's just something I'm so glad I started 15 years ago and I just kept at it. Yeah. Amen. I mean, I've experienced something very similar, you know, in the spirit of sort of long-term thinking and planning. One of the ways that I make a chunk of my money, and I used to make an even larger percentage of my money from, is doing speaking engagements. And a few years ago, I just kept getting sick, like cold after cold after cold. And it was, you know, sort of the end of the year. And I was thinking, oh my God, you know, if I ever got like really sick, you know, not a head cold, but like some kind of problem, I wouldn't be able to earn money. I, w- I wouldn't be able to travel and do the things I need to do. And it got me thinking about what can I do to create more passive income? And I know this is something you think about and you've created courses and things like that, you know, earn 1K and all that. And it got me going on it so that I began experimenting and testing and doing small things and then creating more and more of them. And I know, I know you're a numbers guy, Noah, so I prepared for the interview here. So, so far this year, I have earned $732,000 from online courses that I've done for other entities and about, give or take, another 250 for ones that I've created in control for myself. So that's, you know... Hold on, how do we jump to this number? Is this the long game? <laughs> <laughs> it definitely didn't start out that way. So yeah. you made a million dollars in courses, but hold on, that's crazy. Your 75% is not even your own. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Tell me about that. Yeah, so some of the courses that I've created are ones that you know I've done myself. I, you know, I hosted on my own website. But yeah, the vast majority, I have worked with different sort of educational partners, and there's probably a half a dozen of them. And, you know, it, it's Udemy and Skillsoft and LinkedIn Learning and, you know, a number of other ones. But the combined revenues of all of them is the 732K. Last year for 2022, I tried to, you know, just get all the numbers for you because I know it's one of the things that I think is probably most helpful for your listeners. I know you really drill down on, you know, all the cool interviews with the, you know, the billionaires on the plane and stuff like that. It's helpful to know real numbers. And so I got in 2022 is $935,000 just from the third party courses. Okay. We have six minutes, y'all. So by the way, everyone, I was late to this. uh, So that's why we're doing a condensed version. So at least we're chatting because I I leave for weeks and this is already a tough one to schedule. Oh, where are you going, man? I'm biking America. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you do that already? I do a week a year, or about nine days a year. So give or take a thousand miles every year. It's like a way to hang out with one of my best friends, Anton. That's amazing. How much do you actually get out of that million? That's money to me. That is my money. <laughs> it, it's, it, it does not have affiliate fees or anything like that. That is the money deposited into my account. And then how much do you get being a Columbia professor or speaker? Oh, if I do a three-hour session, it's like $2,500. Oh, really? That's good. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like the Columbia professor. So you speak at Columbia. Is it frequent or is that once in a while? Uh, no, it's, I do it like a tiny, tiny amount because it is fun and gratifying, but it is by far the least lucrative thing that I do. What is the one thing that if someone's wanting to start their own business or get going that they can copy of yours in their own vertical? The thing that I think is most critical, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this question and I created what I call the recognized expert framework. 
And basically, there's three pieces. It's like, you know, how do you get recognized for your expertise? One is content creation. You have to show people through writing or speaking or whatever what your ideas are. Number two is network. You might be the greatest expert in the world, but if the other people who are known in your industry have no idea who you are, that is not a good look. And number three is social proof. I will explain that in a minute, but basically I think if you're starting somewhere, social proof is the place to start. Essentially it is what are the markers of credibility that you can amass for yourself rapidly so that people will listen to you and take you seriously. The default for everybody is like, no, I'm not going to listen. No, he's probably a Yahoo. He probably doesn't know what he's doing. And so you need to have social proof. This could be, you know, Noah ha has this, this, and this client, or Noah has guest lectured at this, this, and this university. He's been featured in X, Y, and Z magazine. He's guest posted on such and such prominent blog, whatever it is, but it needs to be brand names that people recognize. It could be for your book, right? That, you know, all these famous people have blurbed your book. Those are signs of social proof. It helps people pay attention to you and let you in the door. And then for you, did you go out to different experts and then help them create all their content and then take a cut of the sales by helping facilitate all of it? No, that's not really my business model. Part of the revenue that I have for courses that I create myself, I have a one called Recognized Expert, which is kind of an online course and community for people that are interested in it. But it's a one-time fee and then people join for life. You said you made seven fifty helping others do it. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, the $732,000 this year is for online courses that I have created that are hosted on other platforms, basically. Got it. And then the two hundred fifty dollars is on your Dory Clark website? Correct. Got it. How can everyone be as good of a speaker as you? Oh, well, first of all, thanks. That's very kind. The way that I learned how to be a speaker, it sounds slightly banal, but I'm going to explain it. I never took classes. I never trained. It really was through practice, but it was practice in a very specific way that other people can emulate. And that is through teaching. The way that I think that I learned to be a good speaker is that when you are teaching a class, in many ways, it's low stakes because they're with you for a semester. They can't leave. And so you can practice, you can try things, and you have to learn how to keep people engaged. You have to learn how to vamp if something happens. And by doing it again and again, I used to teach semester-long classes. It really helped me be able to get comfortable on stage. Just practice teaching. Coming back on two things, and I got to wrap up, because I'm actually meeting with a speaking coach for my book oh, tour. Oh, awesome. So I'm, I'm working. I have to interviewing two different people to get a coach. I, I love coaches. How did you get your first sales of your courses? Just for others out there who are like, I'm an expert in drones, or I'm an expert in cooking, or an expert in SAP, whatever that is, how can they get a first customer for sale? Yeah, it's always a really important question. I am a big fan of, I think a lot of people jump fast to try to selling. I created an email list and nurtured it with educational content for quite a while before I sort of turned on the spigot and said, hey, I have a course. And so I am sure that a million dollar weekend, which I have yet to read because uh, it's not officially out yet. I can't wait to. I've pre-ordered it. I'm sure you're talking about this, but building up a relationship with people and especially building a list so that you're coming right to their inbox is so crucial because if you have that trust, then people will be eager to buy what you have. And so how long did it take you to build up your audience before you asked for a sale? I, for a long time, had a, essentially a B2B business model where I was doing consulting and executive coaching. So I wasn't really even thinking about monetizing the list. So I, I had it for quite a while before I started it. I would say that, I mean, I had been running my list in a super haphazard way for 
years before I tried to sell. But I was more deliberate about it, I would say probably about a year and a half before I started to sell my own products. But I actually experimented with affiliate marketing for a little while just so I could learn for free about how other people were doing online sales through their lists. And then last question is, tell me about this cat bed that you have. I want everyone to know out there that I'm not the biggest cat fan. I'm not the biggest thing of things I like give a bunch of money and attention to and they run away. Doesn't make any sense to me. It's like they hate you. Like your cat would kill you in your sleep. I hope you know that. Like if it could kill you and eat your body, but you have a bed by the window and this is like a, it's like a loft. It's true, man. I'm, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm in the pro cat camp. So yeah, I have a cat bed on the window and my cat Philip is occupying it right now. So I feel like if I can please him, if I can give him a good day, my life is in good order. Is that true? Yeah, I am huge into cats. And what does Philip do for you? You know, I feel like... Are you staring at me now? He heard me say that. See, look, he's going to kill me. I told you. I called it. He knows his name. Uh, he's just looking for compliments. No, I mean, I think, I think for anybody who's an animal person, you know, it's all about unconditional love. They're awesome. They're super affectionate once you get to know them. Got it. That was a 20-minute power hour of information. So get your audience going on an email list. Practice your speaking through teaching. Think about things longer term, maybe through different options and think about what the themes are with those options. It's also so interesting because like we all know the longer term is going to be better. And it's just like, okay, what's just one small thing I can do today? And then maybe one of those every single day that eventually leads to a longer term great result. Hey, man, you got it. All right. Dory Clark, good seeing you. Thanks, my man. That is a wrap. Just like a bow and a present. I hope you have a great holidays and you love this episode. If you enjoyed Dory and you want to learn more about her, check her out on Twitter and Instagram. That's Dory Clark, D-O-R-I-E Clark. And check out her book, The Long Game by Dory Clark. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's have a hug together. Before you go, tweet at me or slide in my DMs at Noah Kagan. I love hearing that you love the episodes or hated them and give me some feedback about what you want to hear in the future. And also, if you're not on my exclusive mailing list, go to noahkagan.com. We have an exclusive email each and every week, marketing tips, business tips, and fun tips to help you on your own business journey. That's noahkagan.com. Finally, a couple of shout outs to the amazing team who helps make all this happen. Special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts sound so damn good. Thinking of Jeremy, Cam, Tommy, and Sylvie from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. Shout out to our new guy, Dylan, who's starting soon. Have a tremendous day. Actually, message me this one. What's your favorite episode of this show? <laughs>